All right, thank you. <laughs> All right, praise the Lord. That is one brave girl. And I heard that that was an assignment, a homework assignment for Eunice to come up here and give that speech. So you get an A, Eunice. <laughs> and if your mom doesn't give you an A, then come talk to me. Yeah. So man, praise God. And you know, I know there was a lot of details. She mentioned a bunch of things there. Uh, you will get it all through your email. So if you're not on our email list, then another reason to uh, fill out a connect card so that you make sure you get our emails. But we're very excited to be participating again with Operation Christmas Child. You know, before I even get into the passage today, I, I did have to, uh, I, I just want to share a, a quick little uh, joy in my life. Uh, but this morning, I was on the phone just texting with my brother and my sister-in-law because they had a baby boy at 9.30, so about an hour and a half ago. So just wanted to share that. Uh, it was just exciting to see uh, more life. Um, so my baby and my sister-in-law, my baby, my brother. <laughs> My brother and my sister-in-law had a new baby, so praise God. Okay, open up Second uh, Peter 2, 10 through 16. Second Peter 2, 10 through 16. Amen. And if you're joining us here for the first time, then usually the Bible passage is going to be up on the screen behind me. And if you're joining us online, it's going to be on your screen at home. But we do encourage everybody to bring your Bibles. So Second Peter 2, 10 through 16. Okay, this is God's word. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction." Suffering wrong as the wage of their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. There are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked. For his own transgression, a speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory and we thank you so much for this time in your presence before your word. And Father God, we thank you, Lord. We know that this is a high privilege that we get to gather like this freely, that we get to open up your word, that we get to hear what you want to say to us. So Lord God, I pray that we would not take this time for granted, but I pray that everyone here would open their hearts wide to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church through your word. Not my words, Lord, not my thoughts and opinions, but your word. So Lord God, thank you so much, and thank you for all the many things that are going to be happening this fall season. We are excited to see how you're gonna be working through Operation Christmas Child, through the ministry team signups, and through the, uh, the different outreaches that are going on, like Guest Chef, and Father God, there is so much that you wanna do. So Lord God, please continue to move this church forward. We wanna follow you, we wanna obey you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it's so great to have all of you guys joining us this morning, and especially great to have all the college students. I believe most, if not all, are back. CBU and UCR are in full swing now, so we miss you guys. It's great to have the college students back. 
It's also great to have the little children, uh, elementary school kids, in the service as well. Today is family worship. By the way, if you haven't gotten your communion cup, please pick one up. We're going to have communion at the end of service. But uh, these kids are going to be taking a break from their study in the parables of Jesus, so it's great to have them here. So we're glad that everyone is here. We're glad you could join us. And what a passage it is that you have joined us on. Amen? (laughs) So what a passage that we just read. But these verses in 2 Peter are all about the way of destruction that certain false teachers were on, and they were leading many other people inside the churches onto the same path of destruction. But why are we talking about this topic on such a nice day like today, on this new fall season? Okay, why such a heavy topic? Well, the reason why is because I've been preaching through 2 Peter passage by passage, so so I don't pick what comes next. I just leave it in God's hands, so here we are. This is the next passage. But because today is family worship, we're not going to be looking at this passage in depth like we normally do, especially dwelling on the destructive of these false teachers in 2 Peter. We'll do that more next time when it's not family worship. We will look at it briefly. But today what I wanted to do overall is to look at the word way, because it's very important in this passage we read. But the word way... But Peter basically summarized the character and behavior of the false teachers as a way. A way. So if you were to go back into your passage in your Bible and you see that word circle it, it's such a key word. But he called the way of the false teachers what? The way of Balaam. And we'll look at him briefly later, but he was a false prophet. But the way of Balaam. And in contrast, Peter summarized the way of true believers as what? The right way. So do you see that? It's a very important word in this passage. But there is the way of destruction, the way of Balaam, and also the right way. So look at verse 15. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, these false teachers. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. So do you see that? That that word way is so important. So here Peter is contrasting two different ways in our passage. Again, one is the right way. Peter's already been describing the right way in chapter 1. If you want to get a fuller picture of what the right way is, just go back to chapter 1. Read that. Elsewhere in his letter, in fact, in this very chapter, chapter 2, he calls the right way the way of truth. Also, the way of righteousness. So this word just keeps coming up again and again. The way, the way. And in contrast, Peter said the conduct of these false teachers is the way of destruction. So he makes that so clear. He used that word destruction, destructive, many times. But the way of Balaam was the way of destruction. So this is a lot bigger than just bad behavior, bad people doing bad things. But this was a way. So what does that word mean, way? When the Bible, the word way can mean literally a road. So oftentimes when that word comes up, it's just talking about a road or a highway. But based on that literal meaning, the word way can also mean the overall course of a person's life. So you have a way and I have a way. But how are you living your overall life? What direction is it going? Here's another way to say it. The overall manner of life in which you live. 
So if I were to just watch you, maybe I had a drone following you secretly and I video recorded you for the next week, what would I see? <laughs> You're like, please don't do that. I had a little tape recorder on that drone, what would I hear? Well, whatever I see and whatever I hear, and more importantly, whatever God sees, whatever God hears, that's gonna be your way. And whatever God hears and sees me doing, that is my way. See, it's more than just, oh yeah, I did some bad things here and there. No, this is your overall manner of life. This is the course of living that you have decided to take. And so the Bible uses this word all over the place. For example, in 2 Peter. And so when Peter was talking about the destructive way of the false teachers, again, this is more than just bad behavior, but he's talking about their overall manner of life, their overall course of life. And brothers and sisters, don't miss this. Their overall course of life was headed towards destruction. That's where they were going to end. If nothing seriously changed, if there wasn't an intervention, they were going to end in destruction. And Peter made it clear, everyone else who followed them on that same way, they're going to end in destruction. And this is why our passage in 2 Peter sounds kind of angry, doesn't it? I don't know, sometimes, you know, people zone out when I read through the passage before the sermon. But if you weren't zoning out and you were kind of paying attention, you would have noticed, oh, this sounds kind of angry. But why? And in fact, if God inspired Peter to write these words, you could say God sounded angry saying these words. But why? Why does God sound angry? Well, the reason why is because God was urgently warning people, his own people, right? That the way of the false teachers is destruction. So don't follow them. Don't go on their way. And please don't just dismiss this as, oh, I'm not on their way. You might be. That's the whole point. He's writing to the church, right? He's writing to believers. And so here's God. He's angry. He's urgent. And it's his love that made him angry. It's his love. Wouldn't you be angry if someone put destruction in the path of someone you loved? The toddler came in contact with this white powder, just kind of crawling around. And then the toddler, this little baby girl, put it into her mouth. And then a few hours later, after she had been put to bed, the mom went in to check in on her. And then she had all this foam coming out of her mouth. And then she was dead. And what that white powder was in that Airbnb was fentanyl. And so this ba baby, this toddler, ingested it. And this article, it was on NBC, said a few days earlier, they found out that this Airbnb was rented out by some adults who threw this big party there. And it was against their policy, of course. And I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't know if you have stock with Airbnb, but this is the worst advertisement for Airbnb. I'm sorry for that. But, I mean, this was just unbelievably horrific and so when we read that that made us so angry right at what point did something just fall apart like why weren't people checking in on this why were they breaking the policies and throwing this crazy drug party there and then a toddler dies a few days later and so if you were to just imagine when God looks at these false teachers and when he looks at his believers right his people his followers and the things that are being put in front of them, he gets angry, right? This is the same kind of anger that God is having. So when you read this passage, yes, God is angry. That's why he's using these vivid terms. And his anger was directed towards these false teachers who had put destruction in the path of other believers. And in our passage, God is not only angry, he's urgent. 
And the reason is because, like that toddler in that tragic story, many believers today are spiritual babies. You know, as, as a pastor, I do talk to a lot of people, not just only in here, but out there, and I just meet a lot of people, right, as a pastor. And whenever I talk to a lot of believers today, I don't care whether they're old or young, so many just seem like spiritual babies ingesting dangerous teachings. They have no discernment. Right? They're not, they're not even aware. So yeah, they might be crushing it at work. Okay, they're doing well at school. They're growing their influence online. I mean, they're doing things in life, right? They're impressive at the gym. A lot of these people work out. I mean, they could do a lot of things. And yet when it comes to the things that truly matter, like God's truth, eternity, they're babies, right? They're spiritual babies, And they couldn't tell the difference between spiritual sugar or fentanyl if their life depended on it. They have no idea. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, let me take some of that. Put it in my mouth. And brothers and sisters, for all of you who might be thinking, oh, this is for somebody else, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. So this is the title of the entire message, but are you on the path of destruction? Are you on the way of destruction? You know, recently, if you haven't been joining us, you might have heard, uh, if you saw us online, but, but we've been talking about neo-paganism and cultural Marxism. But those are widespread false teachings today, and are you touching those things? Are you putting those things into your mouth? Figuratively speaking. And those are, those are only two false teachings out there that have been put in our path, but there are hundreds more. So many, I can't even cover all of them. But there are so many out there, such as moralistic religion, saving yourself through your own efforts, through your own works. That is destructive. There's worldly religion, a kind of preaching, a kind of teaching, a kind of ministry that produces Christians who love the world. And it's so obvious, right, when you meet them. They just love the world, and when they go to church, they just love the world even more because that's what they love. There's therapeutic religion, which is self-centered and only sees God as a ticket to a better life. Yeah, that's why I'm a Christian. I go to church. Why? Because I want a better life. God is my ticket to that. It's therapeutic religion. There's progressive religion, deconstructing the faith, rejecting orthodox beliefs, bringing the culture's values and beliefs into the church. That's also destructive. There's gay religion, promoting homosexuality and transgenderism as acceptable to God. There are increasing denominations doing that more and more. And, and brothers and sisters, please hear this. But this form of Christianity loves the sin and thereby hates the sinner. They don't acknowledge that's what they're doing, but that's what they're doing. Instead of hating the sin and thereby loving the sinner. And so that's out there. Then there's the lying signs and wonders religion that loves miracles more than Christ and in fact goes against Christ. And please don't misunderstand. I believe God works supernaturally today. I long to see God working supernaturally today in ways that glorify Christ. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24, there will be lying signs and wonders in the last days. And it just seems like there are so many Christians out there, they're just babies. They have no discernment. They have no awareness. Again, they don't know if it's sugar, fentanyl, whatever. So these are some of the false teachings that can put you on the way of destruction and put you on that overall course of life that is against God. So how do you know, right? 
how can you know if you are on the way of destruction? Well, this is where Peter, he is such a faithful shepherd. But he tells us, right, again, in these urgent terms, almost kind of angry. But again, please hear it in the right way. He's angry because he loves. God is actually speaking through Peter. God is angry because he loves us. And this is what God said through Peter. Look at the character. Look at the character of the people who are on that way. You can always know whether people have false beliefs if they're on a destructive way, how? Just look at the character. It's very simple. Just look at the fruit of their lives. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 16, you will know people by their fruit, the fruit of their character. And in our passage, Peter mentions five character traits of people on the way of destruction. And it's actually not that hard to see once you open up your eyes. And because today is family worship, we're not going to go too in-depth into these things. We're just going to kind of briefly look at them. We'll circle back next week when we move on in 2 Peter chapter 2. And we'll kind of flesh it out a little bit more next week. But I did want to look at these five character traits of people on the way of destruction. So first, number one, it is arrogant ignorance. Arrogant ignorance. And these are going to be just real brief. We'll just touch on them. But 2 Peter 2, 10 through 12, if you look, it says, Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. So we're going to go more in depth next week. We'll kind of flesh out what this means. But without going into detail, these false teachers were talking loudly and confidently about spiritual things that they knew nothing about. Okay, that's what this is referring to. In this particular case, it's talking about fallen angels. But these false teachers, they were blaspheming or pronouncing judgment or saying certain things about fallen angels, and they do nothing about it. They knew nothing about it. And not only that, but they dismissed spiritual realities as if they knew what they were talking about. And yet they have no feel for it. They have no sense of that. And so this character trait is widespread today. But these are people who skim the Bible like it's a children's book. They read God's word with a pair of scissors. Nope, not this, not this. Taking only what they like. They listen to God's truth with a smirk on their face. But these are people who are ignorant about God's truth. And that's bad enough, right? Just to simply not know things and be ignorant is bad enough. But these people are confident in their ignorance. They're confident about it. They're arrogant. So this is arrogant ignorance. So when Peter says, if you want to know the people on the way of destruction, just look for that. That's a character trait you're going to see almost every time. Arrogant ignorance. Number two, the second character trait is uncontrollable lusts uncontrollable lust. So 2 Peter 2, 13, 14, it says they, these false teachers, counted pleasure to revel in the daytime. There are blots and blemishes. They have eyes. By the way, blots and blemishes are like stains on a shirt. Just imagine all these filthy stains. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. Right there, that phrase, eyes full of adultery, that literally means every person that these false teachers looked at they saw an opportunity to commit sin. And I'm not going to go more 
in-depth than that. We have children here today. But every single person they look at, oh, I could commit a sin with you. I can commit a sin with you. So their eyes were full of adultery, and they did this in the daytime, it says. And what's amazing about this is that in ancient Roman times, even the ancient Romans, and we know how godly they were, right? Not, right? But these ancient Romans thought it was bad to do certain things in the daytime. If you remember in Acts chapter 2, the disciples, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what did the people there accuse them of? You're drinking. How can you be drunk in the daytime, right? So they saw that as bad. So even ancient Romans didn't do certain things in the daytime. But these people, they reveled, it says. They paraded their sins in the daytime. They're people on the way of destruction. So in other words, they have no shame. It doesn't matter. They do this openly in the daytime, and you don't have to look very far to see examples today. Isn't that true? It's just open. It's just out there. And these people on the way of destruction do this because of an uncontrollable lust. That picture there is a very common word. I've mentioned it many times, but it's kind of like this over-the-top desire that overflows the banks of rivers. If you've ever seen a river during flood time, you can't control that, right? It's uncontrollable. Well, that's the way their lusts and sinful desires are. So it doesn't matter, right? I used to do it only in private. I don't care anymore. Broad daylight. Take it or leave it. This is who I am. So that's the second trait. Third trait is trained evil. Trained evil. Look at verse 14. It says, they have hearts trained in good. That word trained in the Greek is gumnazo. That's where we get the English word gymnasium. So these are people who are like gymnasts in an Olympic gymnasium. They are like Olympic athletes who are highly trained in sinning. So people on the way of destruction, they are actually skilled, trained in immorality. Through practice and repetition, they have become very good at lying, manipulating, getting what they want, covering up their sins so that they could sin some more and getting other people to join them. They're very good at it. They have muscle memory. It's automatic. So there are certain words on the tongue. I remember one time, uh, this is when my kids were really little, and this big plumber came in, and nothing against plumbers. I love plumbers. We need them. But he came into our house, and he was like fixing our sink, and it was almost like a, like a sitcom, right? But he dropped something, hit his foot, and the immediate word out of his mouth is, guess what? <laughs> Bleep. I was like, what are you saying, man? <laughs> you know? I'm like, my, my kids are right here. They're small. They're toddlers. And he's like, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. And then the next time something felt, but why, why do they do that? It's because there are certain muscle memory, right? It's just on their tongue, certain eye movements, certain reflexes, situations, right? The moment something happens, it's just automatic reflex, ah, right? Whatever it may be. Well, why is that? Well, it's because people are trained in evil. And anytime you see people who are on the destructive way, they are also trained in evil, like an Olympic athlete, is muscle memory. It's automatic. And I believe, brothers and sisters, many of us here, we know exactly what that is, if not all of us. So that is the third characteristic. Fourth characteristic is worldly greed. Worldly greed. Look at verse 15. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. So again, we're not going to go into this story at all, but Balaam was a false prophet for hire, in the Old Testament, book of Numbers. 
And for Balaam, this false prophet, everything had a price tag. Nothing was off limits he could, if he could make a profit from it. And people in the way of destruction are like Balaam. They literally will take anything and everything. Nothing is too sacred. They will give a prophecy. They will preach a sermon. They will pray a prayer. They will serve on a ministry team. They will lead a church. They will use Jesus' name. Nothing is too sacred if it can bring them money, status, and power. They will use anything and everything if it will bring them benefit. And again, you don't have to look very far to see examples of this. But this is always going to be one of the qualities of people on the way of destruction. But they have this insatiable greed, this kind of worldly greed. And yes, that includes money, but not only money, right? It could be anything. So that is the fourth characteristic. And then finally, the fifth one is hypocritical religion. Hypocritical religion. Second Peter 2.13. Peter says, they revel in their deceptions while they feast with you meaning believers, while they feast with you. And that word feast is probably referring to the Lord's Supper. And back in ancient times, it actually was a real meal. They would have a real meal for the Lord's Supper. We're going to have it later today, communion. But as they were taking communion, literally in the midst of that environment, they are sinning, and they're trying to figure out ways to sin. And this character trait is the most deceptive of all because it looks like a religion of God, but it's really a religion of the self, right? It looks like serving God, but it's really serving you, yourself. And this is what Jesus rebuked the most while he was here on earth doing his ministry. And so, again, you don't have to look very far to see this. But in churches all throughout the world, there are people within the community of believers where they are there and they look as if they're serving God, but then what are they really serving? Who are they really serving? And so this is the climax of all the other traits when all or some of those other traits we just briefly looked at, like arrogant ignorance, uncontrollable lust, trained evil, and worldly greed. When all of that or some of them come together in one person within the church, then what you get is hypocritical religion. So this is kind of the climax. Once a person's way of life is hypocritical religion, if this is your overall way of life, if you have said, I believe in Jesus, but deep in your heart, you don't really worship him. You say you're a Christian, you believe in the word of God, but your behavior really doesn't line up to any of that. And deep down, what you really care about, what you really worship is yourself. If that is your overall way of life, then Peter is saying, this is stage four cancer. This is stage four cancer. Unless there is serious intervention, the only thing waiting is death. It is judgment. So I know, this is heavy. Welcome to church, everyone. <laughs> okay, why are we talking about this on this beautiful October Sunday? Well, again, this is just the next passage. But I really believe God wants us to hear these things because he does love us. Okay, there are things right before you in your path. And God is saying, just wake up. Don't you see? Don't you see what is right there? Don't you discern? Can't you see the difference between what is truly good and what is deadly? And so God is warning us. And not only warning us, but he is encouraging us now to go on the right way. And the remainder of the message is going to be a lot more encouraging. But he's saying, go on the right way. So Peter, in our passage, clearly made the contrast between the way of destruction and the right way. So if you go back to verse 15, it's very clear. 
Peter said, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray and gone on the way of Balaam, right? Balaam's way. And so here, he's contrasting the two. There is a right way, and there is a destructive way. And so if people on the way of destruction have forsaken the right way, then we don't want to be like them, amen? Okay, we don't want to follow them onto their way. So then here's the big question. Then how do we get on the right way? Okay, how do we get on the right way? And that is a very important question, especially in this new season. I mentioned earlier, you know, it's great to have college students back, but especially if you're a freshman in college. And we have a few freshmen in high school here as well. But if you're a freshman, then, then everything's new, right? It's actually, in fact, a whole new world. You're thinking about that song. I know you are. <laughs> but it's a whole new world, right? Challenges, decisions, friendships, experiences. I mean, all these things might be new. They're going to be new. So you are in a new season. And in fact, for some of you, your life is going to look and feel so different, you might get disoriented. Okay, it's going to take a little time for you to figure things out. And that's okay, right? I remember my freshman year in college, I got to school and then I lost my wallet my first week in school. So imagine how fun that was. I had to get everything new, right? But there's some disorientation you're going to go through. So in the midst of that, you need to answer this question, what is the right way that I need to go on? What is the right way? What is the right course of life that I need to take, especially right now at the beginning of this new season? Maybe you are a freshman in college. You're a freshman in high school. But what is the right course that I need to take? And this question isn't just for them, but it's for everyone. It doesn't matter what stage you're in, even if your life isn't changing much right now. But you need to also ask, what is the right way? Right? What is the course that I need to take? Okay, which way does God want me to go? Well, in order to answer that for the remainder of this message, I want to leave Second Peter and I want to look at Joshua 3, 1 through 4. Because here again in the Old Testament, God mentions the way. Very clearly, the way. So Peter mentioned the right way, but I want to now look at another passage that also talks about the way. How can you know the way? So look at Joshua 3, 1 through 4. And it says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. You should underline that. Pay attention to that. Follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So in other words, Joshua now is about to go into the promised land. They're, they're headed towards the promised land, but they don't know the way. So God made it very clear. Here's how you're going to know the way. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, which was like a box, like a piece of furniture covered in gold with two angels on top, and inside there were a few different items. We'll look at that in a moment. But the special thing about the Ark of the Covenant is that above the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God. So it re represented the presence of God. When you see my presence moving as the Ark moves, 
then don't get too close, but I want you to stand a little bit of a distance away. Why? So that you'll know where it's headed. So that you will know the way, for you have not passed this way before. So that you can see where I'm taking you. That's what God is saying. So here in this passage, God's presence is not merely showing the way. If that's all it was, then all God needs to do is just put a sign. Hey, here's the way. (laughs) Go that way, you'll hit the promised land. So God's presence isn't just showing the way. But God's presence in this passage was the way. It was the way. His presence is the way. And anywhere his presence went, that's where the Israelites went. Why? Because his presence was the way. And Jesus, who is God with us now, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. But he said in John 14, 3, I am the way. So now Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when Jesus said, I am the way, do you know what he was saying? He was basically saying, I am the map. Not, I have the map, but he was saying, I am the map. In other words, I am the course of life that you need to take. You need to be on this way, and I am that way. Okay, I am the map. And yet, how many come to Jesus as the map, as their course of life? Okay, how many actually do that? I know none of us would travel to a new city without a map, right? Okay, how many of us, before entering a whole new city, maybe you're traveling abroad, would delete Google Maps or Apple Maps from your phone? Okay, we all know that would be stupid because you need that. Okay, we're all going to be using that map. And yet, that's exactly what so many believers do when they're entering a new season in their lives is they delete the map. In other words, they just leave God. They, they don't seek him anymore. They leave the church. They don't think about him. So whether it's going from junior high to high school, high school to college, maybe you're going from college to grad school or grad school to full-time work or full-time work to a new work, Maybe you're going from being married to now married with kids, or maybe you're going from having kids at home to now being an empty nester. Whatever new season you find yourself in, so many believers go, doot, delete the map. (laughs) Oh, you know, I'm so busy, right? Life is so crazy. I I don't have time for church. Read the Bible. I'll get to that next year. (laughs) They delete the map. And then they go, oh, I don't know. I, I feel so lost. And this actually isn't just me saying this, but surveys have shown this to be true. Barna's study a few years ago found that 61% of young adults in their 20s who attended church at one point eventually leave the church when there is a big crossroads in their lives. When they enter a new season in their lives, they just leave the church. And so they discovered that to be true. Okay, that's six out of 10 people. Just look around. We have a lot of young people here. But there are six out of 10 young people who are in the church at one point eventually leave the church. Why? Because there's a new season. Oh, there's something new in my life. I'll get to God later. And so I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, as you're about to enter this new season, again, maybe there's something new happening, maybe there's not. Maybe there's a whole new world you're entering, maybe not. But don't delete the map. Jesus said, I am the way. You must know the right way. That right way is Christ. So here's the question that I want to just look at as we close. Okay, this is going to be just the remainder of the message. But if God's presence is the way, if Jesus is the map, then how can I know the right way and stay on that way? Okay, how are you going to stay on that way? Well, if you go back to that passage of Joshua, in that passage, it talked about the Ark of the Covenant, right? God said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant moving, follow it because you've never been this way before. Follow it. 
And that Ark of the Covenant, like I said, represented the presence of God. And inside the Ark were three very special items. Do you guys know what it is? You don't, you don't have to say it out loud. But, but there are very special items that were placed in that Ark. Inside that Ark were the tablets of the Ten Commandments, the jar of manna, the bread from heaven that the Israelites ate every day for 40 years in the wilderness. Every day they woke up, there was something on the ground. Like dew from heaven, but it was this manna, this kind of bread from heaven. And then finally, Aaron's rod, which God had caused to bud supernaturally. And based on those three items, I believe we can learn how to stay on the way. Okay, so what do I mean? Well, first, if you take the Ten Commandments, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, I believe that that is pointing us to being centered on the gospel, You must be centered on what Jesus did for you, his life, death, and resurrection, if you're going to stay on this way. And why do I say that? Well, the Ten Commandments are God's standard of holiness, amen? It's telling you God's law. They are an accurate expression of God's will for all of our lives. And yet, these standards, right, these commandments, they don't change us. They don't save us. You know what they do? They crush us. So imagine these stone tablets, not like little tablets, but imagine them like a huge, I don't know, 10 by 10 concrete, you know, plank that weighs like 500 pounds and now it's on top of us. We're not going to hold that up very long. Some of us not at all. But we're going to get crushed under the weight of it. And so who can look at these Ten Commandments every day before bed and say, yep, kept every single one. I'm going to heaven. Score, right? I'm going to heaven kept every single one perfectly from the heart for God. Who can say that? Nobody, right? Every single day, if you were to think about God's commandment and what he requires of us in order to go to heaven, we are crushed. We are crushed. The next day, we are crushed. You can't hold up under the weight of God's commandments. You can't. I can't. It's too heavy. So then, what's the purpose of God's law then? If we're crushed by it every time, Well, Paul told us very clearly, Galatians 3.19, before you become a Christian, here's the purpose. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, until Jesus to whom the promise referred had come. So the law was put in charge of us to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. So is that clear? Why did God give us the law? Well, he wants us to obey it eventually. But he knows we can't obey it. It's going to crush us. So then what's the purpose of it right now? To drive us to Jesus. Every time you look at the law and you're like, I can't obey this, you got to think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. And so this is where it gets very sweet. But the law was given to us in order to crush us, in order to cause us to tremble. Why? So that we would look away from ourselves and towards the Savior so that you would look for a savior. And that savior, brothers and sisters, is always right there. It's Jesus, right? Jesus. And so God, he is about to pour out his wrath upon us. Why? Because every single day we sin, every single day we can't hold up under this law. And in that moment, we look over and we see Jesus and we go, Jesus, save me. And then he says, yes. Father, take my life instead. He put that on me instead. He let it crush me instead. And so then God does. He puts the heaviness of that law onto Jesus. And he held it for us. He obeyed it for us. But in addition to that, he also was crushed under the law for us. 
He was crushed for us. So that's the gospel. And as some have said, the gospel is we are more sinful and broken than we could ever know and more loved and accepted than we can ever hope. See, that's the gospel. It's because every time we think we can't do this anymore, Jesus is right there. And because of him, we are accepted, we are loved. And so this grace will change us profoundly. We don't have to obey God anymore to be accepted and loved. But instead, we obey God because we are accepted and loved. Okay, I don't do my quiet time. I don't read my Bible every day. I don't come up here and preach in order to be a good Christian and go to heaven and be accepted by God. No, I do it because I'm already going to heaven. Because I'm already accepted by God. Okay, I don't come here and share the word in order for me to feel like I'm gonna make up my sins somehow. No, I do it because God has already made up my sins. He's already covered my sins. So because of the gospel now, we are fully loved and accepted by Jesus. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing to prove. I love that definition of the gospel. The gospel makes us a certain way. There's nothing to hide and nothing to prove. How many of you guys can truly say I live my life like that? Yeah, I come to church, I hang out with friends, I talk to my community, I have nothing to hide, nothing to prove. Why? Because of Jesus. Well, then I would say, you know the gospel. You know the gospel. And so this is the first way that you're going to stay on the way. Jesus said, look at the ark. And what's in that ark? It's the Ten Commandments that point us to Christ. It'll drive you to Christ. And so that's the first thing. Okay, here's the next thing. The jar of manna. The jar of manna, okay, this kind of bread or this wafer that appeared every morning, 40 years in the wilderness. Okay, what does that represent? I believe intimacy with God, cultivating this intimacy with God, this kind of feeding on God on a regular basis. So in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, manna was the bread from heaven that God gave to the Israelites for 40 years in the desert. And this manna had a very special quality to it. But you couldn't store more than one day's worth. And the reason why is because after one day, the manna would be rotten the next day. You can't eat it. So you could only collect enough for one day, and then the next day, you have to collect it again. And then the next day, you have to get it again. And so God made it that way so that it would be daily. This is where you get that phrase, daily bread. How many of you guys have ever done that devotional? There's a good devotional out there called Daily Bread. But this is daily bread. And you know what Jesus said in John 6? Jesus is just so amazing. He connects everything to him. He said, now I am the bread of life. See, Jesus is the bread. So if you want guidance, if you want to be on the way during this new season and not fall away, then you need to feed on Jesus daily. This is what this represents. This means we need to have a regular time in the word and prayer. It is not optional, brothers and sisters. You know, I recognize that in this room there are a lot of medical people, but you guys know, but if a patient were to come to you, and let's say this patient is having a lot of nutrition issues, they're sick, and you gave that patient very specific instructions on what to eat, and let's say that patient is very serious and they took all these notes, right, and they wrote down all the different food items, they took down how many times you need to, you know, eat it, and for how long, and they took it all down, they memorized it, and then when it actually came time, they only ate it once a month. (laughs) What would happen? Well, it doesn't matter how sincere they are, it doesn't matter how diligent they were in writing things down, they're gonna die. They're gonna die. Why? Because this is daily. (laughs) 
You gotta eat daily. So here's my second urging, right? My encouragement is you need to decide beforehand, before you launch into this brand new season, am I gonna stay on this way, the right way? And how are you gonna do that? You gotta eat on Jesus. You gotta eat him and his word daily. Daily. You know, I remember um, recently I was listening to a Paul Washer sermon. He's so good because he just pours out his heart when he preaches. But he was just sharing how when he first got converted, he was a brand new Christian and he was kind of on fire. But then after a little while, like all of us, his fire kind of died. So then he was, I don't know how he met Leonard Ravenhill. He's like this well-known British revivalist, very famous, but he kind of knew Ravenhill. So Ravenhill, he reached out and said, hey, Pastor Ravenhill, I, I don't know what's going on, right? My, my, my passion in God is dying. And then Ravenhill just sent him this simple little note. When others can, you can't. When others can, you can't. And Ravenhill explained what he meant by that, but he was saying, Paul, when other people are going out and hanging out and watching TV and just you know, fellowshipping and doing all kinds of stuff and online on the internet all day, you can't. If you want to be serious about growing in your walk with God and stay on that way when others can, you can't. And I found that to be absolutely true in my own life. The moment I'm just like doing everything that everyone else is doing, then you know what happens? My faith just begins to drop. Am I on the right way? I don't know. But I'll be honest with you. Being a Christian can be lonely at times. But it's a good kind of lonely, right? And being a pastor is even more lonely. I tell my wife that all the time. Oh, honey, I'm lonely. And she's like, get over it. I'm just kidding. She doesn't say get over it, but she'll encourage me a little bit. A little bit. But I go, oh, it's so lonely. But it is lonely. God wants us to be lonely sometimes. Why? So that he could be with us, amen? When others can, you can't if you want to be on the way and grow in your walk with God, brothers and sisters. When others can, you can't. Why? So that you can feed on Jesus daily. He is the bread. He is the manna. So that's the second way that you can be on the way. And then here's the final one, Aaron's rod. And we're going to close with this. But Aaron's rod represented... In the story of number 17, it represented God's anointed leaders, the people that God has placed in your life to help you, to be a guide to you. And along with that, the church, it represented God's entire community of his people. So number 17, you can read it on your own, but this is basically a story where Moses and Aaron were leading the Israelites through the wilderness, and then one day, a group of men rebelled, saying, hey, who made you king over us? We're, we have ideas. We're smart. We know God, right? We have our own ideas. And so they rebelled, and they started getting a lot of people to join them. And then God put a stop to that immediately. God said, this is what I'm going to tell you to do. Everyone, all you supposed leaders, get a stick, right? Shave off all the branches, the leaves, get a stick. And Aaron, you get a stick too and put it in the temple, and the next morning, go in there, and then the stick that buds, leaves, and almonds, that is my chosen leader. And so they did. They put their sticks in there. The next morning, the rest is history. It was Aaron. Aaron's, uh, Aaron's rod budded. And so after that, God made it so clear that this is my anointed leader. And so what does this all mean? If you want to stay 
on the way. If you want to follow God and stay close to him, then you need to be a part of a church, brothers and sisters, led by godly leaders. And I'm not saying necessarily this one. I don't care. Go wherever God leads you. But you need to be committed to a church led by spiritually minded leaders who want to do the will of God. And that's the only way that you're going to find yourself on the way and continue on that way. And so in closing, how are you going to stay away from the way of destruction? How are you going to stay on the right way? Well, center yourself on the gospel. Remember what Jesus did for you. Continuously, every day, be driven to him. Be driven to him. Cultivate intimacy with Christ daily by feeding on him. Again, when others can, you can't. And if you keep doing what others do, then you're not going to be very close to God. And then finally, commit to a church with godly leaders. You must absolutely do that. And if you don't, then the story is very, very clear. I don't even have to know you. I know what's going to happen. You're going to fall away from God. You will fall away. And so, brothers and sisters, let's be men and women who do these things, amen, and children. Okay, let's be people who will never lose our way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Father. We just come before you today, Lord. And Lord, your word is clear. And even the things that I don't make very clear, you can make very clear. With urgency, maybe even anger, Lord, you come and you speak your word. And Father God, you say, watch out. Look out. Okay, what way are you on? Okay, what is the course of life that you've taken And Lord God, you have made it so clear. If it is not your way, in Jesus, you are the way. But if it is not your way, then it's only going to end in destruction. It's gonna end very badly. So Lord God, I pray and ask that everyone here, Lord, that we can wake up, that we can hear what you're saying, even if it's kind of dim. I know for some of us, there's just a lot going on Maybe we're not familiar with these truths. It's a little dim, but make it brighter. It's like putting something into our mouth and, and, we, and we don't really taste it exactly. We'll make it tastier. So many in the churches, they're like babies, spiritual babies. Lord, help us to mature. Help us to become more discerning. So we thank you, Father God. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. Lord, you're doing it. We just want to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, today is Communion Sunday, so we're going to spend a brief moment responding to the word. Let's come before him in prayer. So we're going to pray. But let's also just ask God, help us to get on his way to follow him Jesus is my course of life he is the way the truth and the life let's pray that I think that's a great prayer to pray at the beginning of a new season right a lot of decisions to make a lot going on let's pray that prayer 
So let's just come before him right now. And then we're going to ask God to bless the communion.